The Leaning In Leadership Podcast is presented to you by Olivet Nazarene University and Shine.fm. This is a place to lean in to good leadership practices through conversations with great leaders. Lean in and listen close as your host, Dr. Carlos Lonberger, discusses a wide variety of leadership topics to encourage, equip, and empower your leadership. Hello again, and welcome to the Leaning In Leadership Podcast. I'm Carlos Lonberger. I'm your host for the day. I'm here with Dr. John Bowling, president of Olivet Nazarene University. Sir, welcome. We are glad to have you here this month. Nice to be here and to be part of this ongoing podcast series, Leaning Into Leadership. I love the title because it takes our attention. It takes a bit of leaning in to be all that we should be. That's right. Leadership and good culture doesn't happen by accident, right? right. It is what you create it to be or <laughs> what you allow it to be. We are getting into kind of part two of our conversation here on your tenure as president of Olivet Nazarene University. If you haven't heard the first episode, if you haven't listened to that one, I'd encourage you to press pause on this one and go back and listen to that first one because there's so many good bits of information in there about how to sustain good leadership leadership and good culture over the long haul. And in that episode, we kind of looked back at the first several years of Dr. Bowling's presidency. In this one, we're going to kind of look forward to the next year and a half of Dr. Bowling's presidency as last fall, he announced his retirement will come after graduation in May of 2021. That doesn't seem possible for me because in my mind, sir, you have at least 30 more years available to you. Well, thank you. But that's what it's going to be, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> that decision's made. Huh? Right. Yeah, that's good. Let's just kind of recap some of the highlights of past 28 years. Yep. And, and it'll be incredibly difficult <laughs> you know, to ask you to pick two or three things. But what are some of your most fond memories, two or three of your most fond memories of your presidency at Olivet Nazarene University thus far? Well, it's been a real privilege to work with a gifted faculty and staff, and leadership in any venue is ultimately about team building and empowering and supporting other people. It multiplies your leadership. If everything has to run through the leader, that's a very narrow channel. So it's been a real privilege to be part of a dynamic team. And of course, to be involved in a kind of work where you intersect emerging generations. Yeah. And having been now at the university, I'm in my 29th year, I'll finish 30 at the end of next year. I've been doing this long enough to see the fruit of our work five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out, 20 years out. I have children of graduates that are coming. Right. Once the grandchildren show up, I, I've got to be gone for sure. <laughs> that's enough, huh? <laughs> so that's a very rewarding thing. But it's been a great run. The university has tripled in size in terms of enrollment. Campus has been improved. Reputation, I think, and people who know about all of it has really grown. And so it's been great to be part of a big moving enterprise. But all good things come to an end, they say, and they, <laughs> they run their course. At the end of next year, I will pass the baton to someone else. And I think that's really good probably for the institution and for me as well. Every leader has a set of strengths. And by and large, I think leader has to go with his or her strengths. Do the things you do well. Be aware of your shortcomings. Compensate them. Get others around you to help manage that. But over a long, long period of time, things that maybe a, a leader doesn't do as particularly well will ultimately need some adjustments, a new voice, a new vision. I'm optimistic about what the change will mean yeah. for the life of the university. A new chapter. That's exciting. It certainly is a new chapter and the end of an era, but not yet, right? Not so yet. Not yet. Yeah. This is going to be a big focus of what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. A quick summary question of what do you hope 
your presidency is most remembered for at Olivet? Yeah, I really, and I don't think about legacy. There's been, we've built some major buildings in the board, uh, two or three of those times, the chapel and also the, the rec center wanted to name the building for me, which oh, right. often happens. But I just resisted that. I just thought there's so many other people that are part of this team. So mm-hmm. I haven't really been thinking much about legacy or that kind of thing. But I do think, hopefully, the most important thing that's happened is that we've maintained clarity of mission. Mm-hmm. Truth is, if you lose that heart of why you do what you do, the world doesn't need just another college, right. frankly. It's the mission that's there. So I would hope that people would feel like he was a good steward of that. John Wesley, in one of his journal entries, made an interesting statement. He said, God, who took care of the universe before I was born, will surely care for it when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. My job is to improve the present moment. Mm-hmm. So I think about that, and I've tweaked it. God, who took care of the university before I was born, yeah. will surely care for it when I'm gone. Right. Uh, Olivet doesn't belong to me. In fact, I belong to Olivet. Mm-hmm. That sense of hopefully people will look back and say he was a good steward of his time, steward of the resources and opportunities of the university, but most important, kept the university focused on its mission. That's great. So being that kind of chief mission officer is probably, would you say that's one of your primary roles over the next year plus as you approach that big day in exactly. 2021? Yeah. I think about the ending and I think about it in terms of for example, this summer, we will, all of us will be watching the Summer Olympics. Mm. And one of the highlights, maybe the, one of the most exciting things, are those relay races where they have. Yeah. So you have a runner who runs his or her section of the race and then passes a baton to the next person. Right. When that happens, when you finish your leg of the race, those runners don't stop, wave to the crowd, take a drink of water, and then hand the baton off. They are going full out, mm-hmm. and the next guy is already running. So that's kind of what's in my mind. How can I prepare the university to, to have a sense of new momentum mm-hmm. and hand it off to the next person? I look forward to that. So we're looking at extending our strategic plan out a few more years just to get on the other side of the transition. Sure. But the most important thing in that transition, I think, is that our identity, our ethos, what makes Olivet Olivet is also transmitted. And that's a little less certain, a little less easy to do. That makes sense. How much do you try to decide for what is beyond you? Right. How much, how do you balance helping and not controlling the next person? All of those kind of dynamics are really challenging as you approach that finish kind of thing. Yeah. In that light, how did you then go about setting that strategy? How how did you work (laughs) through with your leadership team of what the next year and a half is going to look like? Well, we had a strategic plan that was set in place in uh, 2013 for 10 years. It was called Vision 2022. Mm-hmm. I've now begun to realize you can't plan for 10 years. <laughs> it's too long. Uh, but then it was seemed like it was okay. But right. the way that things are changing now, uh, rather than just kind of let that plan run its course and the new person would have to come in and start more or less from scratch, mm-hmm. I said to our administrative team, let's take the plan and do a deep dive now. What's been accomplished? Let's document that. What did we think we might do in five years ago that really we're not going to do now? Right. The world has changed. So let's jettison those. Let's then talk about what's the most important thing in the next three years, this transition time. Yeah. So we're trying to be very specific, write those things down so that we have a healthy institution to 
pass on to the next person. So you have to be intentional about it. It won't just happen. Right. And leaving it in a good place for the next set of hands is important. It is. I think it's a test of leadership. Everything rises or falls by an, on the person. There's something missing there. Right. And handing it off, seeing that it's bigger than you. And I think even your history has been as a pastor. Your background is as a pastor. Mine is as well. But it's not just pastors knowing when to end and when to hand that off. But leaders in general, knowing my time is changing, whether it's retirement or another opportunity, another calling, those kinds of things, and being able to accelerate through to the end so that your organization, your church, your business is in a good place when you hand that baton off. Yeah. In fact, I've noticed, and probably just because I'm in this line of work, that it's unfortunately not unusual for college presidents to end up staying too long. Really? It's just a hard thing to get up and walk away from. It's such a good job. And all of that. But staying too long can undo so much that you've tried to accomplish. So when I first began to talk privately with the leadership team about leaving, they were pushing back, can't you stay a little bit longer and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And I remember saying that on occasion, leaving is leading. Mm. It's a function of leadership to say, I think the time is right for a new leader and a new set of dynamics. So I kind of think that that's part of, I'm not withdrawing from leadership in this last 18 months. I'm continuing to lead, but leadership takes a little different form because I'm getting ready to pass the baton to the next person. I love that you're being intentional about that. It's going to be, for me, you're the only Olivet president I've ever known. You were president when I did my bachelor's undergrad. I did my master's and my doctorate here. That's how old I am, Carlos. (laughs) I just keep coming back. That's the (laughs) thing, you know. It's really going to be interesting to see what the next chapter of Olivet will be. But I love that you and your leadership team are intentionally being as purposeful as possible to leave it in a good place and really put the next person in the best position possible. I've just started reading a book, so I can't give you much of a recommendation yet, but Henry Cloud has a book out called Necessary Endings. Mm. And in the early part of the book, which I have read, says that before you can move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. next chapter, the next event, whatever, you have to be willing to let go of some things. Yeah. So the necessary endings of life. And I think that's true whether one's kind of winding down his or her leadership or in the course of just leading an institution, you've got to let go of some things that maybe were fine during that period of time, but to do something else. So you mentioned that for some university presidents, it's something that they tend to stay a little too long on. And it's hard to know when to leave. I mean, it just, it really is like you love what you do. You're passionate about the place where you get to do it. And then to think about after 30 years, you're going to not be there anymore. Like in the day to day, you're to me, you're always going to be Olivet. Olivet is going to be Dr. Bowling. To me, they're not distinguishable. How did you come to the point where you started to think and process through personal You mentioned some conversations with your leadership, but how did you come to that point personally of saying, maybe my time is coming to an end? I work on a contractual basis with the board of trustees. The board selects the president. So that contract is in five-year cycles. At 25 years, they renewed for five more years. When I accepted that renewal contract, I began to think that this might be the last five years. So I began to kind of think about it several years ago, just thinking, well, maybe this would be as compared to signing up for another five years down the road. (laughs) Now, you wouldn't have to stay necessarily the whole time. But I think because there was a built-in review period, both for the institution to review, do they want to keep the president, that kind of brought it up. 
And then because I was getting older, and a lot of times I would go out to an alumni gathering or a, a church meeting and somebody would say, are you still at Olivet? <laughs> so I began to think about that. In fact, my wife, Jill, one afternoon, been a couple years ago, we were in the kitchen at our house and she said, do you remember how old Dr. Reed was when we were students? Dr. Reed was the president of Olivet when we were students at Olivet. Uh-huh. So she said, do you remember how old Dr. Reed was when we were students? So I stopped and did the math and realized I was slightly older than he. <laughs> and I said, oh my, I said, I think I'm older than he was. And she just kind of looked at me (laughs) and as if to say, okay, that's what students think about you. You know, Jill said to me the other day, she said, you know, I've not announced my retirement yet. Oh, really? So we were at a ball game last night on campus, got in the car and this happens now and will for the next year. She said, can't believe we're going to leave. And so, and it ought to be bittersweet. I mean, I'd hate to wrap up 30 years and go, man, I'm not glad to be done with this. Right. So there ought to be a sense of, I'm going to miss the work, miss the people, miss some of that. I think The better part of leadership is to recognize the good of the institution. Mm -hmm. I remember even as a young president, kind of making myself a commitment that every decision I made to the best of my ability, I would make based on what was good for all of that, Mm -hmm. not what was good for John Bowling. Because you don't always know, number one. Plus, in the long view, what's good for the university is good for the president. But I saw uh, other leaders that I always thought they were more focused on themselves, really, than the institution. Mm -hmm. I think that's really short-sighted. You mentioned the five-year renewal. Right. And I kind of want to circle back to that because I think it's important to note that while that was a starting point for the thought process for you, as you mentioned, that was a really good review for you. Uh, Right. It it was the board doesn't have to renew for a full five years. Right. right? Right. And they give you the full five years in a unanimous zero to 54 yes vote. Right. Yeah. That's a good point for you. Yeah. Uh, most leaders, when they're in that type of response to their leadership, they're not thinking about, okay, well, what's, how's this going to Yeah. If it was a close in? vote, you might be thinking, okay, exactly. I need to, yeah. Maybe they're sending me a message, but yeah. how did that play out for you? Well, that was very affirming because it, the truth is after 25 years in senior leadership at a large organization, multifaceted, it's tough to have a unanimous opinion on anything. Right. For all good reasons. Right. So for the board to vote unanimously to renew for full five years was very affirming. Yeah, I didn't think, well, then maybe I should stay. And the board asked, you know, when I first began to talk to the executive committee, you know, whether that could be extended or not. So I feel strong support from the board. At the same time, my guess is the board, as they work through the process, will begin to realize it's probably a good thing. I mean, it is what it is. So let's make it a good thing. (laughs) It's coming whether we like it or not. So that, that makes sense. Project yourself out a year and a half from now. I know you wear the big, heavy necklace. Uh, it's not a necklace. What yeah. is it called? Medallion. The medallion right. yeah. during graduation. And you take that off for what's the last time as the president. What do you think you're going to miss the most about your days at Olivet? I think I really will miss the energetic environment of a university campus. I'll miss the students. And it's interesting, over 25 years, students change. I mean, they, every class has its own personality, yeah. much less the generational waves that come through. So I'm going to miss that. I'm the public events, homecomings and ball games and lectures and concerts and, and all of that. That's probably about 10% of my work. Mm. 90% of my work is problem solving, it's budgets, it's wrestling with issues. It's it's a whole other set that I probably won't miss <laughs> quite as much. And, you know, you can't have one without the other. I, I get that. Yeah, I don't know quite how to think about it because I haven't, 
I haven't lived to retire. You know, some folks, they just, they know when they're going to retire years ahead. And so I haven't been thinking about that. And I don't really have any retirement plans, Mm. which I would say is not a good thing, (laughs) but it's just kind of the reality. Kind of general wisdom is a person should retire to something as well as from something. Right. I suppose it would be great if I had an idea that I wanted to do something else. But I I really don't, although I'm not worried about that. I think uh, when that door closes, the next door will open. So I think, well, that's going to be interesting to be able to shape the next chapter of my life. You deal with those things when you come to them, right? Right. Dr. Mark Quanstrom always says, you handle what God has put in front of you. You do what God has called you to do in this moment. And those things will happen when they happen. Yeah, that's right. You come through the idea, you, you process through the idea personally. You talk to your leadership team a little bit here and there privately as you're thinking through all of that. How did you decide when and how to actually announce the actual date of when you were going to retire? I have a very good friend who was chairman of the board at another university that just went through a presidential change with a long-term president, went not quite as long as I've been here, but the chairman of the board, who was a very successful businessman, said to me, because I was talking to him privately, just friend to friend, he said, well, don't announce too early. He said, you become a lame duck. The institution just kind of freezes in place. Everybody gets anxious about it. Mm -hmm. So my thought was that I would not announce until commencement at the end of this academic year, which would be one year ahead. Gotcha. Now, you'd have to give the board, I think, at least a year because it's a big process and we don't do this very often. Once every 30 years now. Towards the end of last summer and thinking about the process and and all of that, I really felt like I should announce early. Mm. And I think that was just a judgment call that could have gone either way. Mm. I'm talking to my wife and then to the senior leadership team, I said, I think I'm going to go ahead and announce at the beginning of this academic year. That will give everybody enough time to kind of get used to the idea of a presidential change and that I would be leaving before they have to deal with who's the next person. Right. So I really think, it was, we're still in the midst of it, but I think it was the right decision. The Board of Trustees has been working consistently this year to do a kind of deep analysis of the university. What are our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, all of that to get a sense of the kind of person that the board should be looking to. And out of that analysis, and they've held campus meetings, they've had surveys, they're already they're doing the listening side. They will shape then a, a presidential profile. This is the characteristics, the kind of person we're looking for. Right. That will be approved at the May meeting of our board. And then the public side will probably start. They'll announce the search and people will be able to nominate. People will be able to apply if they want to do that. And then the process of sifting through candidates will begin. And there again, you don't want to rush it, I think. Yeah. We need to get that decision right. So I think timing was you know, a bit of a judgment call, but I think it probably was, was good to give people enough time to make the decision. Now, that might be different in a different situation. Yeah. It could be that in some other situations, it's better to not announce till a month from today I'm gone. Sometimes you don't have a choice if you're... Right been offered another job or another calling to somewhere that even becomes public sometimes before you <laughs> have a chance to talk about before it. Before you get to Yeah, before you get to shape it, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's for sure. So, just kind of a, a personal note as a leader who's invested so much into an organization, a business, a university, a church, you announce when my last day is. How did you feel the next morning? I was a little nervous how it would how it would be received. Once you go public, you're like committed, uh, you know, (laughs) so do I really want to do this? No, I felt good about it. And I think response of the university community has been good and the broader community in which we live. It just gives people time to kind of adjust to the idea. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I felt good about it. I don't know how I'll feel. I'm sure I'll feel real deep kind of sadness in a way, walk out of the office the yeah. last time yeah. and all of that. But there again, I 
wouldn't want to feel any other way. Yeah. You want to leave yeah. it with all of your heart still there. Yeah, somewhere, exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and still feeling confirmed that I'm doing the right thing. Exactly. But yeah. and, and no regrets on it. No. Right? Because no. You, have, you will have had 30 wonderful exactly. years. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, count and your blessings. Exactly. Right? What two, three tips would you kind of share with anyone listening, any leaders who are thinking, I don't know when the time is right to leave? What do you look for of, is it okay to go when things are good? You've set it up well, things are yeah. happening, or my goodness, everything is falling apart. <laughs> Get me out of here. Right. You know, What kind of tidbit advices would you give to leaders who are in that position? Yeah, the scripture says that the steps of a good person, man or woman, are ordered by the Lord. So I really think you can know the next step. Mm. You might not know it in an instant, but I think if you want to know what you should do, I think the Lord will help a person know that. There's some advantage to leaving when you still get a unanimous vote. Right. Uh, that's not a bad thing, to leave when everybody goes, boy, I don't know how they'll find a replacement. Right. Well... <laughs> <laughs> that will not be as big a job as they think it is. <laughs> you can't really control is another part. I can't necessarily control the timing. I mean, I could shift a little bit, but the truth is the end of the contract period, that was the time. We happen to be in a tougher stretch right now than we were, say, five years ago. Yeah. And I joked with somebody the other day, I should have left at 25 years <laughs> and I'd avoid this last <laughs> stretch. But the other side, I think, no, for such a time as this. Yeah. So do you want a 25-year experienced president to navigate troubled waters or do you want to hand it off to a new person? Right. So I, I've said to our leadership team, if there are tough decisions that need to be made, we're going to make them. That's we're good. not going to kick them down the road because I want to set up the next person to succeed. That's because good. if he or she doesn't succeed, that undercuts everything I've given my life. Mm -hmm. I really want to try Try to, to manage it. And I think we can do that. I think we can work through some initial challenges we have right now and maybe not be fully out of the woods in some areas, but a sense of direction, momentum, clarity. To me, there's a lot of wisdom in that of understanding that 25 years of experience is going to handle these challenging five years a lot better than someone who's still trying to figure out so. where their bathroom is and everything, yeah. you know, and trying to get their office set up kind of thing. Right, right. right. Just one last thing. You've got a new book. Out. Yes. Came out about a month ago, right? right? Called Windows and Mirrors, Exploring the Parables of Jesus. This is your seventh book. Correct. You are quite the author and 65 plus published articles and a couple dissertations later and <laughs> doctorate programs and all those kinds of things. What makes Windows and Mirrors kind of your heartbeat at the end of your presidency at Olivet? The writing for me, in a way it's counterintuitive, as busy as I am with everything. And once in a while somebody will say, how do you find time to, to do that? Right. In a way, it's kind of recreation for me. Mm -hmm. That shows how dull my life is. <laughs> but I love getting in the office, for example, on a Saturday when nobody's there. Mm. And the creative process of starting with an idea and trying to figure out, number one, do you have anything to say? That's mm. the place you've got to start with. Right. And then how do you shape that and all of that? This particular book, really, the seed of it was planted a couple of years ago in a chapel series where we were doing a look at the parables of Jesus, which are great stories which we cannot assume that our students know. Right. Many of them do. Most of them do. I began to think about it, and I spoke a couple of times during that series, and that kind of got my mind going on it. Plus, this whole idea of stories, you just let somebody start to tell a story in any setting, mm -hmm. around a campfire, dinner table, yeah. uh, in a meeting. And when somebody starts a story, everybody else leans in because we love stories. Right. And stories are ways, the dominant way, that Jesus began to unveil the new kingdom. Mm -hmm. He would say the kingdom of God is like, bang, and he'd tell the story. Yeah. A man who had a vineyard yeah. and would unfold that. So it was a way of seeing something new. 
Yeah. And then, of course, I pick up the idea that in addition to seeing the kingdom, we have to find our place in the kingdom. And that comes when we say, all right, where do I fit in this story? Mm-hmm. I love this story. It's a little almost obscure parable of the two sons. And uh, the father says to one son, go and work in the vineyard. And he said, yes, I will. But he never does. Mm-hmm. And he says to the other boy, go and work in the vineyard. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. But later he changes his mind. And right. Jesus said, all right, who did the will of the father? Right. It's just really interesting how roles get reversed and it's not what you see, it's what you do. Right. <laughs> that actually determines who you are. It was kind of fun to go through because I knew the stories, but you see them a different way. I have heard you tell many stories, many, many stories, and you have a way of just drawing people in to those stories because that's what people really latch on to is mm-hmm. the story of other people. They can relate to that. And that's an important part of leadership as well. It is. In fact, I read a book some years ago. I think Warren Bennis wrote it. And it was called Leading Out Loud. And it was really about the public side of leadership, what you say and how you say it and all that. And then I spent several years as a pastor, and I remember thinking about the preparation of sermons and how important it was to have windows in the sermon, illustrations that people can say. Without illustrations, it comes down to ought, should, ought, should, Uh you better, you better not. People check out on that. Right. But a story keeps bringing them back in. I want to share a story with you that I don't know that I've ever actually told you. Dial back about, uh, it's pushing 18 years ago now. There was a young guy named Carlos (laughs) walking out of chapel one day in Chalfant. Before the big Hawkins Chapel was on campus, back in those days beyond recall, we had chapel in uh, Chalfant Hall. I was going out one door after chapel and you were coming out. You kind of managed to come out in the wave of students Mm -hmm. next to me. I said, hey, Dr bowling you want to give me a ride to my apartment you said well carlos i can't today but i'll get you i'll take care of you i promise i said okay (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah i I believe you you know one day i was walking down the road behind miller business center and a big black car pulled up next to me and the window rolled down and i thought oh my goodness this is where it ends for me i'm gonna get (laughs) uh, on campus a drive-by behind the miller business center no one's ever gonna know me Uh, no no i was there and i look over and it's you in your car there. I said, hey, Carlos, how about I give you that ride to your apartment? Yeah. Now, it wasn't all that far, you sure. know, but you took that time there and we, I got in and rode to the apartment and you sat with me for a few minutes and there were some of my friends who walked by afterwards and asked me, that, was that Dr. Bowling? I was like, yeah, we're, we go way back, you know. <laughs> it wasn't just a couple months later, I was driving down that same road in, in my 1990 Ford Thunderbird, mm-hmm. you know, that was all beat up and everything else because broke college kid, right? right? And you were walking down from Burke Administration to the Miller Business Center, right? I pulled over to the side and swung my door open on the passenger side because my window wouldn't roll down. <laughs> you know, I said, hey, Dr. Bowling, you want to ride? And uh, you go, well, I'm just sure. Why not? And so you walked. Went about 30 or 40 feet in the car. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's all the further it was. But as you were walking over to the car, I was like hiding parking tickets under the, oh, under the seat and everything. And now the truth comes I, out. There, I'm, I'm exposed now. But, you know, those things. And I know so many stories of your presidency from students just like that, of connecting to and relating to the students, which arguably is one of the most important pieces, if not the most important constituency of a university. And so from all of those folks who have so many similar stories, I'm just going to say thank you. 
Well, thank you. You have been an incredible leader, and you've got 30 more years. Let's just keep right on going, and I know you announced it, but let's just (laughs) ignore that ever happened, all right? Well, I'll get back to you on that. But (laughs) Yeah, thank you. The student interchange really is, probably is the single best part of the work. Really, that's why the university exists. Without students, none of us would be here. So I think that's important to keep our eye on it. Now, students don't understand the full dynamic. You can't always meet all the expectations of students. There's no one expectation for one thing. I do think that's important. I was at a ball game last night. It was just packed, a basketball game, and uh, students across the way had a big sign, and they held up a sign and said, Dr. B, stand up and wave. <laughs> so, you know, of course I did and, and waved, and I thought, you know, that's a that's a wonderful thing to have that kind of relationship. Yeah, and if students can relate to the senior leader of a university like that, that's a really good indicator of what's happening in that organization on that campus. It's really exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you again for being here. Remember, this is part two of my conversation with Dr. Bowling. You can go back and hear that first one on longevity and leadership. Make sure you get both of those and and listen to those. And then share and like and comment, recommend to a friend podcast so we get that exposure. We really appreciate you sharing that for us. And remember, when you're a leader, you're not just in the people business. Your business is people. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leaning In Leadership Podcast from Olivet Nazarene University and Shine.fm. If you enjoy this episode, please comment on it, rate it, and share it wherever you stream your content. You can follow Leaning In Leadership on social media and watch for upcoming episodes released the first Thursday of every month.